It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you today? Hope everybody's having a great day today. I am so far. Then again, it just started. So, I mean, there are ways in which you could go horribly, could go sideways. We all know that. But um, I've got my fingers crossed, hoping that that does not happen. Let's talk about the economy, shall we? Speaking of things going sideways, let's talk about the economy. Um, I thought this was interesting. So, Joe Biden, you know, is catering and kowtowing to the left, to the to the progressives, which they're socialists. Can we just call them socialists? They're actually communists. And being a communist is not a dirty word to the left anymore. The Democrats are definitely coming out as the more more of a of the Communist Party. You had Richard Blumenthal helping to celebrate the 102nd anniversary of the Communist Party in America. You know, it's it's not a dirty thing anymore. And they wear it with pride and they shove it in your face for shock value. And it works. It, it does on a lot on a lot of levels. That that shock value does work. Um, sadly, though. For some people, it doesn't, you know, it's no big deal anymore, especially the younger generation being being a um, socialist is no big deal to them. It's not it's not a dirty word the way it used to be. But here's something that I thought was so interesting, because the Biden administration actually went against the squad and the socialist wing of their party. And I thought this is very interesting and I can't figure out why I can't figure the game out. Something's going on here, and I haven't put my finger on it. I'll figure it out eventually. It'll all eventually come to light. But they, they're, they're snubbing progressives because progressives want loan forgiveness for student loans, loan forgiveness. Now, all that means is that the loan still gets paid back. The bank still gets paid. You and I pay it. So it's really, you're not forgiving the loan. People who never went to college get to pay for the student loans for people who went to college and made bad choices, for people who got involved in in, uh, loans that, you know, they probably shouldn't have taken out, but they made that choice. And so people who didn't make that choice get to pay for it. And that's what loan forgiveness is. It's not like the banks don't get paid. Of course they get paid. And even if the banks weren't getting paid, they were going to get their money in some way, shape, or form, and I guarantee you, you would be paying for it. People who were responsible and paid off their student loans, like me, who paid off my student loan for 10 years, I get to pay twice. I get to pay for their student loans now. And AOC is complaining about how she can't pay off her student loan and how horrible it is, and then she gets in her Tesla and drives away. So I'm supposed to feel sorry for her because it's, it's such a burden. Now, there are a lot of people who have student loans, and I'll tell you the numbers, but here's the deal. The Biden administration is not listening to the far left of their party, and they are planning to resume federal student loan payments the beginning of February when this exemption, because of COVID, they had a, they had, um, you know, like a, a, a pause of student loan payments and they extended that pause, you know, cause COVID. And so people got used to that. People got used to having that extra money in their, in their paycheck or in their, their wallet every month and not having to, to pay it. So my hunch is, is that a lot of them 
instead of saving that money so that when it started up again, they would have the money to pay. They probably did other things with it. And now they're like, but I don't have the money. Oh, well. So the president was asked uh, whether, excuse me, the White House was asked whether um, the president is going to extend a payment freeze. It was supposed to expire in February. And Jen Psaki said the administration has no plans to do so and is instead focused on ensuring, quote, a smooth transition back into repayment. <coughs> Excuse me. She said we will engage directly with federal student loan borrowers to ensure they have the resources they need and are in the appropriate repayment plan. We're still assessing the impact of the Omicron variant, but the Department of Education is already communicating with borrowers to help them prepare for return to repayment on February 1st. About 41 million Americans are benefiting right now from that pause in the student loan repayment program. Okay, that's great. 41 million people. That's and it listen, that's nice. I mean any kind of any kind of bill pay pause with no penalty is a gift, right? You take that money and you save it and you put it away and you may make two cents interest in, you know, in your bank account, but at least you're, you're making something on it. At least you have that money so that when the time comes to repay, as I said before, you've got the money, right? That would be the smart thing to do. Prepare for a lot of not so smart people to start crying February 1st. The moratorium is officially slated to end, as I said, February 1st of 22. President Biden has made it clear he doesn't plan to delay the payment freeze any further, despite um, he got a letter from a bunch of the progressives, the usual suspects, Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, Ayanna Presley, and they warned that millions of families could be hurt financially and that the government's recovery from the pandemic is imperiled. If Biden does not extend the federal government's pause on student loan payments, why? Why? Again, they haven't been putting this money out. This money's been in their pockets. This is money that they were previously paying and now they're not paying and haven't paid for a year. So theoretically, they should have a year worth of payments at least sitting in the bank. How is that going to imperil anything? It's going to put money back into the economy. That is, if they're doing the right thing, right? Now, if they're not doing the right thing, well, then I'm sorry, but that's on you. How many chances do you want? They cited an analysis that was conducted by um, the Roosevelt Institute. Now, the Roosevelt Institute is a progressive think tank, and it showed that resuming student loan payments in less than two months will, quote, unquote, strip 18 million borrowers of $7.12 billion a month. And all that means is that they're going to pay their bills to the tune of over $7 billion that they haven't been paying for the last year. How is that stripping them of anything? It's money they owe to the banks. How does that strip them of value? It's not theirs. It's money that they owe to someone else. And it'll be over $85 billion annually over the next year that the left is saying, but these people need this money. This, this is in their pocket. You're going to strip it from them. No, they own it. They consumed a product. Like Judge Judy likes to say, they ate the steak. You got to pay for it now. Now that you've consumed the product, you've got the degree, you used the loan money, it's time to pay it back. 
Now, the study, excuse me, that they cite here examined 60% of the 43 million total borrowers in the U.S. who are affected by the payment pause. They benefited from it, excluding 7.7 million who are behind on payments. Now, if you're behind on payments, theoretically, over the last year, you should have been able to stockpile the money to save up so that when payments resume, you can start to make good. So based on the data from this study, there are roughly 18 million borrowers who, before the freeze on payments began, paid an average of $393 a month towards their loans. All right. Schumer, Warren, and Presley also called on Joe Biden to cancel 50000 in outstanding federal debt per borrower via executive order. Just via executive order. Taking the money from, for, taking the, 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 the debt, the burden that someone else is signed on the dotted line for, and then putting it on other people who never signed for it, never signed up for that money, never signed up for that loan, never benefited from that loan, and they want him by executive order to transfer that burden onto you via executive order. People who never went to college, farmers, other people, you know, HVAC guys, people who never went to college. Should, should now pay for these people because they chose to take out a loan, according to Schumer, Warren, and Presley. Outstanding student loan debt has doubled over the past decade, $1.7 trillion. Outstanding. This stuff that's owed. About one in six American adults owes money on federal student loan debt. It's the largest amount of non-mortgage debt in the U.S. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> How did we get there? Well, we got there. Because the federal government got involved in the loan business. Whereas previously, like when I got my loan, I got it from a bank. And the bank, you know, I had to sit down with them and where was I going to college? And what was I studying? And what were my grades? And they looked at all of that before they decided whether they were going to give me a loan. Because they wanted to see what my ability would be to pay it back when I graduated in four years. Was it a degree in which I could, I had a chance of making a good living, making a salary that would enable me to pay that debt back. When the federal government got involved in the loan business, that, of course, wasn't, isn't a thought because it's other people's money. It's taxpayer money. They don't care. It's the government money. So if you don't pay it back, you know, that just interest just piles up, piles up, piles up. And they gave everybody loans for every major out there. You know, I mean, art history, I use that one all the time. And sometimes people get mad at me. But what are you going to do with an art history degree? Really? What are you going to do with it? Okay, you may become a curator at a museum. That's great. But how many of those jobs exist in the world? How many of those and, and, and pay enough money for you to actually be able to pay a loan back? Probably not very many. There are plenty of degrees out there where you're probably not going to strike it rich or you're not going to be able to pay back a loan. And taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for this stuff. But the federal government's just handing out money. And what happened when everybody got to go to college and money was no object anymore to go to college, what happens? Everybody goes to college. Demand goes up. So the colleges, of course, costs go up because they can command more money now. And it's inflation. Boom, there it goes. So um, I'm actually shocked that this is happening. I'm not quite sure why this is happening. But Rich Lowry Lowry will be joining us in about 20 minutes. 
Maybe he has an answer for me as to why this is happening, because I find this very, 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 very interesting. All right, coming up, more on the economy, the debt ceiling, and also talk to, talking to you about the Build Back Better plan and um, child care, because it's going to be free. It's going to be free. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's all good news. And I'm going to tell you why it's probably not going to be all that free to you. It's all coming up. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We just learned on Friday that if you eliminated all the budget gimmicks, it would be $5 trillion of spending, Laura, $3 trillion of new deficit spending. It would do things like give amnesty to illegal immigrants. It would devastate faith-based and family-based child care. Uh, It would implement major parts of the Green New Deal to make it more expensive to drive pickup trucks or SUVs while rich people are getting tax breaks to buy electric vehicles. Uh, And, of course, it would continue to add more fuel to the fire of inflation that's hurting so many families. That was Senator Tom Cotton with Laura Ingram. One of the other things the Build Back Better plan would do is we were just talking about the cost of college. But listen to what it would do to daycare. Um, An economist named Casey Mulligan, who's a professor of economics at the University of Chicago, uh, analyzed the Build Back Better bill and said it's going to significantly increase the cost of daycare under the guise of making it more affordable. And it's the same principle of what happened with college. He said, I estimate that BBB would increase child care costs by 102 to 122 percent. For a family with an infant and a four-year-old, that would be an additional annual expense of up to $27,000 unless they could qualify for the BBB subsidies. In 2022, that would be half of the families currently using non-parental care. In 24, when the subsidies are more generous, 27% of families currently using non-parental child care would be paying more than double what they do now. As taxpayers, even families without children would be paying for a child care industry whose bloat is fueled by BBB. 
In addition to disincentivizing marriage and work, the sliding scale imposed on consumers reduces another incentive for providers to control costs. Under Build Back Better, providers will be able to pass on much of their costs to federal taxpayers who stand by ready to pay for any gap between cost and what the BBB deems as affordable for low-income families. As costs increase and some of the subsidy-ineligible families exit the market, the customer base becomes even less cost-conscious. The result is even greater costs for those subsidy-ineligible families that remain. Because what happens is, is so the BBB is going to say, this is what's a reasonable cost for child care. But when you put more people on the system now who can get child care, because we're, we're, we're controlling the cost, the government's going to control the cost and say, this is you know how much you can charge. So more people are going to go in. Well, what happens? More people, private providers now who are not part of the government system, they're going to come in. They've got more opportunities now. Well, they're going to charge more. And now if you get subsidies, you you more people are going to qualify for subsidies because the costs are going to go up. It's like college. The more demand you have, the more expensive it becomes. So that's exactly what's going to happen. And you're going to see the same thing happen to childcare that happened to um, tuition for college. But the federal government keeps doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a, a different result. You also have inflation that is out of control, which we know. You've got short-term inflation going up. Remember they were saying it was transitory? It's just transitory. This is going to be a short-term thing. Inflation's not here to stay. And now they decided, what, two weeks ago that they're no longer saying that it's transitory. Now they're saying, yeah, inflation's going to be long-term. Mm-hmm. And we just found out that you can expect short-term inflation to go up, and it's going to be coupled with a drop in future earnings. So they say this is a worse economic outlook with higher prices surpassing any growth in wages. We now hit a level not seen since 1969. According to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the consumer price index increased 6.8% in the 12 months through November, the fastest climb in 39 years. This is the sixth straight month of about 5% inflation. That's a lot. And I'm sure you're feeling it. I'm sure you're feeling it. And you see it not only in higher prices, but I see it in lack of goods. I definitely noticed it in lack of goods. I was at the store yesterday, although I have to say, my grocery store was stocked. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Ready to go for Christmas. Like they had, there were pallets of things in the aisles. They were, they were ready to go. And I noticed I was there yesterday and I was there the day before. And they overnight definitely got things <clears throat> unpacked and, and, and ready to go. So... So that was good. Um, but I did notice there were some things like um, like lettuce and things like that. There was definitely a dearth of, of produce. There wasn't a whole lot of produce. Dale is listening on WOKV in Jacksonville, Florida, wants to chime in about federal student loans. Dale, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. 
Hi, Mary. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, just had a, a comment about the student loan program. Yeah, 30 um, seconds. Oh, okay, I'll be real quick. Uh, <laughs> insider knowledge, I worked in the federal student loan program for many years. In the early 2000s, uh, many third-party companies came in with students who were not properly educated on student loans and then were in default, and their wages were being garnished, and told them, hey, you can pay $5 a month for nine months. Your loans are forgiven. Dale, you know what? I'm super sorry, but we got to run. But maybe we can take this up on the other side. Thank you so much. I'm sorry about that. Rich Lowry also coming up on the from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. That is, in his view. Uh, and the view of our Secretary of Agriculture because of, you could call it corporate greed, sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, during a pandemic. There you go, you greedy meat eaters. Let's talk about greedy meat eaters with Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, how dare you be a greedy meat eater during a pandemic? Yeah, so so these meat conglomerates, which I haven't heard a lot of prior to the last day or two, so they weren't greedy a year ago. They weren't greedy two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. It, it just so happens that throughout the last 30 years, they've had price increases of about 2% annually, and all of a sudden they've decided we can get away with huge price increases. And and this isn't true just of the, the so-called meat conglomerates. It's true of you know car car dealerships and furniture dealerships and uh, people renting and selling homes and on and on and on. Like everyone all of a sudden has gotten really greedy. I mean, this is just an absurd conspiracy theory and just goes to how desperate they are. You know, it's not the inflation's a real thing. It's eroding wages as we speak. It's hollowing out Biden's presidency, and there's not a lot he can do about it. I mean, he can stop making it worse, but otherwise he's a hostage to fortune here, and they're just casting about desperately. What I find so interesting, and I've mentioned this before on the air, is the greedy Brussels sprout conglomerate, because I've noticed a (laughs) shortage of Brussels sprouts. When I go to the grocery (laughs) store, there's no Brussels sprouts. I don't understand since when did there be a run on Brussels sprouts? Yeah, so my, my wife is very particular about a lot of things we get from the grocery store, including milk. So, you know, I, I went to the grocery store the other day, and, you know, the, the, the American consumer system is just amazing. I mean, you go there, and they're like 30 kinds of milk, but the right. kind, you know, she wanted, and I was, like, calling her, FaceTime with her, is this what you want? And it wasn't there, and the guys just just explained there's a lot of stuff we're not getting in. And obviously having get a different kind of milk, that's not a big deal, but there's a lot of stuff that just isn't available um, um, uh, consumer goods, cars, you know, you want a car, you're waiting six months and people are not going to feel as though the economy is in good shape if that's true. And it's, it's not clear when that, when it's, it, it's going to get better, you know, maybe sometime next year, but not any time immediately. 
what I find interesting with this administration and like what, what Jen Psaki said here about the meat conglomerates and the stuff that they just make up is they literally lie to the American people about don't don't believe your lying eyes. Like we all know mm-hmm. that they're lying, but they still get up there and lie about about the cause of these things and what's happening and that what you're experiencing isn't happening. And I find it interesting yeah. that this is still going on. There, there, this is just the modus operandi now for everything coming out of this administration is just a one lie after the next, after the next. And it's totally, we hear the term gaslighting, but it's absolutely happening on a daily basis. And the media is nowhere to be found. How is the, why, how long do they expect this to go on? How long can you ride this pony? Yeah, so I, I'm with you. I, I kind of thought that there is, they went through a period of denial uh, on inflation. They said it was transitory. It wasn't crazy, but was was wrong, as it turns out. And then it seemed like they're, they're going to shift in the mode of taking it more seriously. And he's done you know events related to the supply chain and talked about the supply chain. But they're still in this mode where it's very difficult for any administration. When something's going badly, you want to admit it's going badly to uh, uh, to convince people you're connected to reality, but you don't want to seem defeatist or, or that you're overwhelmed by events. And they just haven't gotten that balance right. And there, there's just been this, this thread in their argument that over this last year that people should get over this. This isn't a big deal. It's a 21st century problem. Remember that thing? What was she, Jen Psaki said a couple months ago about, oh, your treadmill is going to be a couple months late. You know, poor you. You know, th- this is just, uh, it's dismissive. And it's dismissive to something that people really care about. And they should. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm just shocked every time I hear her just say things that flat out aren't true. And I, I guess they think the American people buy this or they don't care that the American people are on to them. I, I don't I don't know which one it is. It's it's just odd. Yeah, and, and this, this um, is just something, it's very real to people. So there's nothing you're going to say that's going to make them feel better about higher prices. The only thing that's going to make them feel better is if the, the high prices abate and, and the inflation gives way. So, you know, they should be doing everything they can at the, the margins to to make that happen. So, you know, don't do not do the, more, the latest bout of spending. Um, deregulate as much as possible the uh, uh, the efforts around the, the ports and the the infrastructure, um, and, uh, and and then eventually you know these market players will figure it out. But um, as I say, it's not happening this year. No. Well, now, one of the things we're talking about about in the first part of this hour was the Biden administration says they're going to resume the student loan payment program starting. It's it sunsets February first. And they're going against the progressive wing. This is the first thing that this administration's done where they have not given into the socialist wing of their party. This doesn't make sense to me. This seems to me to be a no-brainer for the Biden administration since they've, they've gone so full-blown socialist that they would, quote-unquote, forgive these student loans. And they're not doing that. What am I missing here? I'm, I don't understand this. There's a piece of the puzzle missing for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a little mystifying to me, too. I, I would just say, and I'm not sure whether this is what they're focused on or what they're thinking, but I think it's true. The politics of this are, are bad. You know, most people in this country don't have college degrees. Uh, the, the people who do have college degrees tend to 
um, do better economically. So, so, so why are we going to spend all this money to help them, you know, the, the people who are better off and, and may have made some really poor choices along the way, uh, by the way. You know, everyone just assumes, oh, you get a four-year college degree and, and, and everything's going to be wonderful. It's not necessarily depending on what you what you studied and how much debt you're incurring along the way. So the, the, the politics of this are, are, not, uh, are not good, but, but very, you know, it's, it's one of the, the top priorities of, of progressives. And something, you're right. For some reason, Biden isn't there with them. Yeah, something doesn't add up to me. I feel like like I'm missing something, and I'll figure it out down the road. I'll be like, oh, okay, that's what it's about. But it's right now, it doesn't add up to me. All right, the House voted to raise the debt ceiling. They're sending the bill to Biden's desk. You've got McConnell getting pushback over this. Why did McConnell bail them out with this one time? Um, procedure that they could do to allow them not to have to have a 60 vote threshold. I think what's been driving him on this and on a couple other things this year is fear that uh, if they they push too far that Mansion and Cinema will say okay we're we're going to eliminate the the filibuster and um I, I think Ma- what Mansion has told McConnell on, on this has alarmed McConnell and he's like okay I'm going to find a solution so so we don't push Mansion over the edge and he goes with Democrats to eliminate the filibuster I think Mansion is just clearly he's the most powerful guy on Capitol Hill people yeah. focus a lot on how, how Democrats are having to kowtow to him and and read his his every you know statement in in the hallway and Republicans are doing the same thing so McConnell may have gotten this one wrong, but that's that's what he was thinking. Can we trade one Joe Manchin for one Adam Kinzinger? <laughs> I don't know whether that deal's on offer, but uh, the, the rule of Manchin will will eventually end. You know, ne- next year Republicans are going to take the Senate, and it doesn't matter anymore. Or you know, Democrats get another seat or two, and it, it doesn't matter anymore. But for now, he's in the catbird seat, and he's just right. he's enjoying it. You know, he's a he's a politician. He he loves the reporters hanging on his every word, um, and uh, you know, as long as it's fifty fifty tie, that's the position he's in. Yeah. Yeah. And Adam Kinzinger is useless. And the Democrats probably don't want him because they already got him anyway. So, you know, why they don't want him necessarily have to keep him. So when they could just use him, um, you know, we have the first lady, Jill Biden, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff and the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. They're traveling till Mil- to Milwaukee and Waukesha today to uh, meet with the families from uh, the the domestic terrorist attack that happened in Wash- Waukesha a couple of weeks ago. Why are they going? Where's the president? This, to yeah. me, seem, is such a slap in the face to these families, I think. Yeah, it's a great question. And look, I mean, Waukesha, uh, this isn't news to anyone, it's just a classic example of what the, the media and the Democrats care about most is the narrative. And when they thought for 12 hours or whatever it was that th- th- this hideous killer might have been you know, s- some form of right-winger, they were very interested in this story. As soon as it was clear that he wasn't, they weren't interested in it, and especially weren't interested in it when, when actually the, the, the narrative of, of this, the meaning, larger meaning, is the disaster of these bail reform laws. This guy was out twice on a, a really low bail uh, when he should have been sitting in, in jail, and, and he wasn't because of, of these progressive policies that have been a disaster around 
the country. Waukesha, a terrible example of it. Obviously, the uh, you know example after example in, in New York City, including Fox's Christmas tree and these smash and grab robberies that that are spreading all around the country and started in the Bay Area. So so it's just it just hasn't been a, a big thing for them, you know. And then events like this, they matter when they supposedly prove that we're a terrible racist country, and they don't matter so much if they if they don't. Yeah, and, and the other thing about this that really, really gets me is, of course, it's like it's like the president going today to visit uh, Kentucky and where these horrible uh, tornadoes were, but he's going to talk about climate change. They're right. also there to push um, COVID vaccines for those ages five, five and up while they're also visiting the, the families the, who were the victims of this domestic terror attack. Everything has to have some kind of mm-hmm. crisis push to it. Yeah. It can and never be it, like, this terrible thing happened to you. We're, we're really sorry. We're going to give whatever government uh, uh, help is appropriate, and I'm going to hug you. You know, and that's it. Right. <laughs> it's never just that anymore. No, well, no, not not for the left. You know, everything has to be weaponized. Never let a good crisis go to waste. But let me ask you, okay, so you and I see this. We talk about this. You know, our listeners are aware of all of this going on. Is the general public, though, aware of, of what the what the administration's putting out there versus reality? I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, they, they focus, you know, Waukesha, the ordinary person around the country who isn't really plugged in and, and following the news really closely. I'm not sure whether, you know, Biden's not going to Waukesha matters at all. I think it's the big stuff. It's the border. It's Afghanistan. It's inflation, as we talked about. And I, and I do think, you know, there, there is a backlash brewing um, against the, uh, the, the insane crime policies. Obviously, we've seen that even in New York City, where Eric Adams was elected largely on the issue of crime. And I, I think in years to come, we've already seen some of this on, on CRT, but just a huge backlash that's cross-partisan uh, to the education policies. And it's not just CRT. It is you know, the out in the West Coast just eliminating various standards uh, and merit-based programs in uh, um, math and, and other areas. And just most parents are rational, want their kids to be challenged. If their kids are really bright, want them to, to get ahead as fast as possible. And it, it makes zero sense what they're doing on education. And this was a key part of Glenn Youngkin's campaign in Virginia, yeah. not just CRT, which got a lot of attention, was important, but also standards and merit. And um, I, I think that there, there's a backlash to that and hopefully one coming to the transgender sports stuff, which is also completely out of control and insane. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. And, and that's something I've been saying. Like, I try to find a little bit of a silver lining with all this bad news. But I think with schools, they brought together groups that you normally would mm-hmm. not bring together. And I, I don't mm-hmm. think they realized that that was going to happen when you bring together Democrats, Republicans, socialists. When you're talking about someone's kids, they you, you now have given them a common ground. They're doing the same thing, I think, with vaccine mandates as well. You know, look at New York. If you get vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You can have freedom of mm-hmm. movement. You can go into yeah. a restaurant. You can do this. And then then the needle scratches across the record, and now you have to wear a mask. And and I think they pull together these disparate groups and they give them a common enemy without yeah. meaning to do so. 
Yeah, so the, the, not to obsess on Yunkin, but that's what his strategists were saying all along. At, at the beginning, you know, you had some people cared about CRT, some people cared about standards, some people who were really mad about the closures and, and the masking, some people just wanted more uh, pay for teachers, which is something Yunkin was talking about. Then McCall said parents should have nothing to do with education, and then he united all of them. You know, so right. it used to be you, you know you have a bunch of people in the room. You'd, you know, a fifth of them would applaud the CRT line and a fifth would applaud the merit line, so, so on and so forth. You talk about parents being involved, everyone stands up and, and applauds. And McCall took so long to react to that because it's what he believed and it's what his side believed. They have an incredibly high-handed view of education. Um, so, so this is a long answer to your question. I, I think, you know, something like Waukesha doesn't, doesn't have a huge impact for people. This broad cultural push um, that's pushing kind of insane policies that people do care about, they do get, and I do think there's going to be a big, a big backlash against. Very interesting. Rich Lowry, thank you so much for a great conversation. I really enjoyed hey, it. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You want to jump in here? I'd love to have you. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A new study finds that if cats were humans, their behavior would classify them as psychopaths. (laughs) While if dogs were human, they'd get me too'd on day one. (laughs) Very funny. Uh, Very true, too. I just have a little bit of good news for you. Scientists at the University of California, Riverside, said in recent findings, they may have discovered the cause for Alzheimer's. Yeah, good. This is great news. I mean, so many people know someone who has been touched by Alzheimer's. My grandfather, I don't, we, he was never diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He had quote unquote dementia, but it's, it's still a terrible thing. What they found is um, it may have, they say it may have to do with tau proteins, tau proteins that cause neurofibrillary tangles, which are found in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. And you, who has heard about these, these, these things that get tangled up in your brain if you have Alzheimer's, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and they were always looking at the, these uh, proteins. Now they say it's a different type of protein. They have previously thought they were called, it's amyloid plaques, that's what they were called, which is a buildup of a peptide, and that that could be the cause. But they say it could be a combination of these two things, and they say roughly 20% of people have the plaques, but they don't have any sign of dementia. So it makes it seem as though the plaques themselves are not the cause. And so they did a little bit more research and they found an isomer with the same molecule. And long story short, they found that these can, in some patients, if you have this tau protein, this tau protein, that it can scramble it up and it kind of reverses the signal. It's so interesting, but I thought it was such a, it was such good news. I know mean, the world is so full of bad news and everything we hear is bad news that I thought maybe a little bit of good news, a step in the right direction here to find out the cause of Alzheimer's is just huge because there are a lot of people who their bodies are fine, 
And so many people who had Alzheimer's, their bodies were fine and they kept chugging along. Physically, they were great. But mentally, you know, they were they were just elsewhere. And it was a very slow decline and a very, very sad disease. So uh, good on you, University of California, Riverside. Keep up the good work. And, um, of course, keep looking for this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. So happy to be with you. Joining us in about half an hour will be Miranda Devine from the New York Post, an author of a new book called Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. We will talk with her. Got a lot to talk to her about. I want to talk about COVID, though, first, because there's there's a lot of craziness around COVID because um, they need to. This is just going to go on forever because the left is using this for power. This is a way to keep you down. This is a way to control you. This is about power and they love power and they they don't know how to give it up once they have it. So COVID can never end. Because we have to keep it. We have to weaponize it. They want to keep COVID going through 22. Um, I don't think that's going to help the left in the midterms. That's just me. Um, I I don't think keeping COVID going through the midterms is going to help them. I think people are COVID fatigued. People have had enough of COVID. People are done with it. People are, you know, they're, they're not, they're ignoring the mask mandates. I was in a couple stores yesterday and, you know, you see the sign on the door that you're supposed to wear the mask and blah, 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 blah. And, and there are the usual suspects. Look, if you're elderly and you're afraid, you do you. That's fine. I don't care. I, I truly don't care if you're afraid and you're 16 years old and you want to wear a mask. You do you. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, that's, not, that's not happening for me. So, um, so, so I think people are kind of over COVID. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal... Kroger, which is a really big grocery store chain, it it employs about 465,000 full and part-time workers. And they're mostly, they're like in Kentucky and in that area, Tennessee, that's the Kroger's really big in that area. They announced that they are going to ban unvaccinated staff if from getting any kind of paid sick leave if they get COVID. So now, of course, if you feel sick, and you think you have COVID, you're just not going to get tested for it. Or you're going to tell them you got tested and you don't have COVID. And I got tested. I don't have COVID. That's what people are going to do. Or they're just not going to get tested for COVID and tell them that they have the flu. Or better yet, they're going to go to work sick. It's exactly what's going to happen. If you're not going to give me paid leave because I may have COVID, then I'm going to go to, people are going to go to work sick. And they're going to start charging managers and workers who have not been vaccinated a $50 monthly health insurance charge. <clears throat> now, I see room for all sorts of shenanigans here and problems. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Um, so they're going to start charging a monthly health insurance surcharge, you know, because it's going to cost money, I guess, theoretically, on insurance. Okay, well, what about people who are obese? What if you're obese and you have diabetes, so your insurance costs you more? Do they Are they surcharging them? Or smokers, if, especially if they get asthma, are they surcharging them? 
if you're obese, even if you have COVID, if you have the um, vaccine, you're much more likely to get sick from it. You're much more likely to have complications. Are they going to charge them? This is a slippery slope, and I don't understand how this holds up. Um, According to the Wall Street Journal, they told employees through a company memo that Kroger will no longer hand out two weeks of paid emergency leave for unvaccinated employees who contract the virus. The only way they they plan to change their mandate is if the local government dictates them to do so. So, but if you get the vaccine and you still get COVID, then you can have your two weeks paid leave, which makes no sense whatsoever because you still have COVID and you're still missing work. And they're probably saying, well, it's through no fault of your own that you have COVID. So I, I don't understand how this works. I'm curious, you know, also if your company has any kind of weird, um, weird COVID rules. They will also require unvaccinated managers and non-union employees to pay a $50 monthly surcharge that will go towards company health insurance plans. Both policies will be effective as of January 1st of uh, 22. In May, the CEO wrote an opinion piece for CNN and said he was implementing incentives to ensure everyone got fully vaccinated, including $100 to each associate to get their shots. Now, here's the weird part of all of this. So we find out that Twitter is going to begin imposing penalties on users if you claim that vaccinated people can spread COVID, which they can. We know that to be a fact. But because we don't want anyone to know that, I I don't know why this this is happening, because we know that if you have, if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID. I know someone, I have a family member who's vaccinated who got COVID and was sick and can't taste or smell anything two weeks later. They got COVID fully vaccinated. But yet if you say that on Twitter, you can be permanently banned now for saying that someone who is vaccinated got COVID. Yet Kroger is saying that if you get vaccinated and you get COVID, you get you still get your two weeks paid leave, thereby acknowledging that people who get the vaccine can still get COVID. But Twitter is going to pretend that that's not true. What is happening? What is happening? They quietly made, they quietly added to the website's term of service. When tweets include misleading information about COVID-19, we may place a label on those tweets that includes corrective information about that claim. We may apply labels to tweets that contain, for example, false or misleading claims that people who have received the vaccine can spread or shed the virus or symptoms or immunity to unvaccinated people, which they absolutely can this isn't this isn't um, a, a lie. This isn't controversial. 866-408-7669. Here's my. Do they do they think that we believe all this? Like they're they're just flat out lying to us. It's just flat out lies. Twitter is just flat out saying that this is not true when we know it is true. And I don't know whether they think that people believe this 
that we just sit here and go, oh, okay, well, Twitter says, like, I can't say it, so it must be true that, you know, oh, now I'm going to believe that. Do, are, are, are people believing this? Like, the normal people that you deal with on a daily basis, if Twitter starts starts throwing you off the platform because you said that someone who is vaccinated can spread COVID, which they can, you're going to get thrown. Do people believe this stuff? The CDC says early data suggests infections in fully vaccinated persons are more commonly observed with the Delta variant than with other variants. However, data show fully vaccinated persons are less likely than unvaccinated persons to acquire COVID, obviously, and infections with the Delta variant and fully vaccinated persons are associated with less severe clinical outcomes. All true. But they can still get it. Even the CDC says they can still get it. The infection is most likely not to be as severe. We know that to be true. But they can still get COVID. They have reduced transmissibility and infections. True. But they can still get it. The CDC says so. But Twitter's saying if you say that we're we're going to throw you off the platform. It's crazy town. Down is up, up is down, and this is all to keep COVID going, keep the power going. But are people buying this stuff? And what do you think about Kroger here, that if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID, we're not giving you two weeks paid leave. And if you're unvaccinated, you have to pay $50 a month as a penalty for the health insurance surcharge. I just think people come to work sick now. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Andrea listening on WHIO in Ohio. Andrea, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. I don't understand this. If you don't get vaccinated for the flu and you get the flu, then are they going to, you know, are they not going to give you leave? And the same with pneumonia. I got vaccinated for the flu a few years ago and got the worst flu ever. Well, no, you, you, that so, didn't happen to you. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> I just, I don't get this. How can they discriminate against people who have, period? How can they discriminate, period? Yeah, I, I don't understand it. If they're not going to enforce some kind of vaccine mandate and fire people for not getting the vaccine, if they're not going to go that far, they're, I guess they're just going to penalize you into quitting or just getting the vaccine so that the $50 payment every month just stops. And, and, and even opening another can of worms, my daughter, for example, 28 years old, got the vaccine, ended up with severe complications from it. Well, now that didn't happen. That didn't happen fire, either. Didn't uh, happen. I know. Now they're threatening to fire her at her job if she doesn't get the booster, even with a medical excuse. Yeah, it, so it's, it, it's crazy. No sense. And, and a 28 year old has something like a 99.98% chance of survival if they get right. COVID. And she had COVID. And they she had COVID on top to of get it. The vaccine. She did have COVID before she got the vaccine. Then she got the vaccine and developed severe, comp- life threatening complications. And now they're demanding she get the booster. So I do not understand these companies that think they can mandate these things without listening to their own health experts that are saying, no, this booster may kill this woman. Yeah, and you have no recourse if for any kind of bad outcome, none whatsoever, because they've all been indemnified. So, the, you know, the... the um, Pharmaceutical companies have been identified. You can't go back and sue your employer for some kind of life-altering um, side effect 
should you get the vaccine and have a negative response, you have nothing. You're just left holding the bag too bad and hope you enjoy the job because I uh, hope it, and hope it was worth it. I'm sorry to hear about your daughter, Andrea. That's, I have a huge fear of that. Thank, thank you so much for the call. I do. I have a fear of some kind of negative result from the vaccine. Like I, I would feel that I was so put upon, like so violated if I were forced to do that. Now I've had COVID, um, kicked my butt, but I've got super antibodies now. So, um, but of course the United States doesn't recognize those antibodies. They don't exist. Natural immunity does not exist in the United States. Every other country in the world recognizes it, but not in the United States. So no, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Not now. Nope. I I've got, I've had it. I fought my way through it. I'm done. So I won't get it. 866-408-7669. I'll get your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Welter in for Brian Kilmeade. We're talking about what's happening across the country when it comes to COVID and people have lost their minds. And you got this Omicron variant. And we all know that it's it's less, it's more contagious because the virus is mutating. It's becoming more contagious so it can survive and it can spread. But it's becoming less lethal because it doesn't kill off the host because that's how it survives and spreads. So if you get Omicron, it's much more likely to be a, a, a less course of a disease. It's not as severe as uh, the regular COVID and the Delta variant. And but oh, Omicron! Oh, this is terrible. We have a you know pandemic. We have to you know this is this is a, a we have to shut down now. Look at what's happening in New York. They're doing it in Philadelphia. Even if you're vaccinated now, remember all that freedom you're going to have once you get vaccinated. You'll not be able to live your life. You can go to restaurants. You can do this. You can do that. No, nah, no, you can't. Because Omicron. So everything is a, is, is a crisis. It's one after the next after the next. And now you have companies like Kroger who are banning unvaccinated staff from getting any kind of paid sick leave if they get COVID. Now, what happens if somebody uh, at Kroger is vaccinated and gives me COVID? Now, according to Twitter, that can't happen. Even though the CDC says it can, if you post that on Twitter... That's that someone who has been vaccinated can get COVID and can pass it on. You can be penalized from a 12-hour account lock after your, after your second strike to a permanent suspension or a total and complete user ban if you post it more than five times, five strikes. Despite the CDC saying that it is possible to get COVID if you have been vaccinated. And I know someone, I have a family member who is fully vaccinated who just got COVID. But don't believe your your own lying eyes and your own, you know, positive COVID test from the person who's fully vaccinated and has a positive COVID test. 866-408-7669. It's crazy. Let's go to Florida. And Marsha, hi. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So um, I'm a retired nurse. I think it's all fake. I think it's the flu. That's my opinion. But my problem is, so we have the Congress, the Senate, the administration who fake Fauci what, 1,500 people that are allowed to violate HIPAA laws and violate employment laws, and that's okay, and everyone accepts that? 
Yeah, if you if you get COVID now, you get a call from the state health department in most states, and they want to know who were you with, where did you get it. They want the names of the friends, you, people you may have seen. They want to know all the places you went, etc. But I guess because it's a health department, it's not technically a HIPAA violation. I don't know. Is that a, is that a HIPAA violation? I don't know because it's the, the government. The government has the right to your medical records. Yeah. It is a HIPAA violation, and so especially employers even asking you. It's ridiculous. Um, but the other thing is Florida, if Twitter wants to do that, um, the, our governor, wonderful Governor DeSantis, signed a law that says if Twitter um, or any of the, uh, you know, Facebook or any of them does anything against us that's wrong, which saying that we're lying about something that's the truth, we can sue them for up to $100,000 per incident. Everybody in Florida should post the truth and let them do something, and then we should all sue them and close them down. There you go. Because it is the the CDC. I even read what the CDC says. And and Twitter, though, is saying that I guess they're going to ban the CDC for for posting that as well. Marsh, thank you so much for, for joining us. I, I, I don't understand what the the purpose of this is. This is where I get confused because I. Listen, I'm not the smartest person in the world. You know, sometimes I'm gullible with some things, but I know what the truth is when it comes to something like this. I know, as I said, know someone who has a positive COVID test who is fully vaccinated. So why is Twitter telling me that can't happen when I know that it can? You know, and this idea of uh, making if you don't have if you haven't been vaccinated, you have to pay a $50 monthly health insurance surcharge, according to Kroger, to, to their employee plan. But yet, OK, so so what about smokers? Do, do they get surcharged for anything? What about diabetics? Do they get surcharged for anything? What about them? But if you've been vaccinated and you get COVID at Kroger, which Twitter says can't happen, but if it does happen. Then, then you get your paid sick leave at Kroger. Dean on WABC in New Jersey. Dean, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi to you. So happy you took my call. Here's what's happening. When, when, when a government is communist, when a government is fascist, when a government is tyrannical, the first thing they do is control the irrational thinking. So every time you come up with something that's irrational and you say you don't understand, flip over and think about that because that's what's happening. Half our nation now and your relatives, all the people that you're talking about are irrational and they're accepting that explanation even though in your eyes you're thinking, how could they be accepting that explanation? Yeah. It, 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 it does make sense. It makes you think that, okay, you're the crazy one, you know, and eventually the people who aren't the crazy ones who really are paying attention are the ones who get uh, carted off. Miranda Devine coming up next on the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. Joining us now, Miranda Devine, New York Post columnist and author of this. It's a great book. You got to read it. Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Follow on her on Twitter at Miranda Devine. Miranda, thank you for taking the time to join us. Appreciate it. It's always great to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mary. Great to be with you. Okay, just a little bit about the book. You know, the dirty secrets the president tried to hide. The president has successfully hidden this stuff. There's no IRS audit. There's um, nothing going on with um, Hunter Biden and his art sales. They're getting away with everything. So he actually is very successfully hiding it all, is he not? Yeah, look, I mean, it's not as if the Bidens have really kept what they're doing much of a secret. Uh, And there just hasn't been a lot of media interest over the years. Uh, But now that Hunter Biden's been so reckless and irresponsible as to leave his laptop with nine years worth of material on it, um, there is a lot of evidence. uh, And we know that the FBI has had the laptop since December 2019. We know that there are at least two, possibly three, investigations going on into Hunter Biden's business affairs and his uncle Jim Biden, Joe Biden's younger brother's business affairs. So at some point, uh, all roads lead to Joe Biden. So um, there's enough evidence out there that's public. My book, I've pulled together what's in the laptop, what Tony Bobulinski, who is Hunter Biden's former business partner and a patriot and and an American hero, what he has uh, provided me with, you know, WhatsApp messages and documents and so on, and what he uh, provided more importantly to the FBI. And then we had the Johnson Grassley Republican Senate report last year into Hunter Biden's business affairs. A lot of financial documents were uncovered during that. So there's enough to put together the jigsaw puzzle. And uh, we can just rely, let's hope, on the authorities to do the right thing. And if not, uh, we know that the Republicans, if they win back the House and the Senate in the midterms next year, will certainly be mounting their own investigations. Well, God bless you for having faith in the Republicans to mount an investigation and actually get something done. You know, I I guess hope springs eternal uh, because I don't have the faith that you do. I kind of look at it. There's a new crew coming in, though, remember? These are not going to be the Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger style. They're going to be populist nationalist candidates because I think everyone's been red-pilled in the last 10 months or 11 months of Biden's presidency. Yeah, that, that hopefully uh, people have been red pilled. We were just talking about how, you know, Twitter is banning people for saying that um, if you're vaccinated, you can get COVID and you can spread COVID. When the CDC says that you can get, if you're vaccinated, you can get COVID and can spread COVID. And Twitter is banning it. people for saying it, you know, because we're, we're just going to pretend that down is up and up is down. And people are just supposed to sit here and shake their heads in bovine agreement that it's this crazy. is true. I mean, everybody, how many people have had it, including me, have have been vaccinated and contracted COVID? Lots of people. So it's just the truth. And maybe vaccination makes the infection less serious. That's what they tell us. So uh, I don't know why they would object to that. And I also don't know know why there's not more um, 
taking into account natural immunity, which is, you know, the, all the studies tell us is superior to vaccination immunity. That should be uh, taken into account by the authorities and Twitter should allow people to talk about it. Yeah, well, they should, but we all know what's happening. Uh, just very quickly, one more thing on the Bidens. Ashley Biden's diary. Do you know anything about that? That story kind of died. Yeah, look, I don't know anything about it other than um, it seems that she left her diary um, perhaps in a rehab centre in Florida where she was writing the last um, sort of entries. Uh, And, you know, I I, I think it's a private thing. Um, I I don't know whether what's been put out online is, is true or not, but whatever it is, I mean, I don't think it serves anyone's purpose. It doesn't expose any, um, you know, financial wrongdoings. And um, I, I think it's outrageous that the FBI has raided James O'Keefe and other people from Project Veritas because they decided not to publish the contents of the, that diary when it was offered to them by somebody. Um, they did the right thing and they they tried to give the diary back to Ashley Biden's lawyer, uh, didn't want it, so they gave it to, to the police. And why they should be now being targeted by the FBI and the DOJ is just a mystery. It's appalling. I think what's a bigger mystery is why the Bidens can't keep why, why why they just leave a trail of personal belongings all across the country everywhere they go, it's things that addiction. most of us would worry about, and they just, just they just seem to just leave stuff everywhere they go. It's the but weirdest thing. That's what drug addiction does to you, and you know we know Hunter Biden has misplaced not just one laptop, but three and numerous phones and other devices. So, you know, when you're a crack addict, that's what happens. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's hard for them to keep track of their personal belongings. Um, Okay, so the House voted to hold Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. Now, Mark Meadows cooperated. Mark Meadows turned over a whole bunch of stuff to this this sham of a, a committee here, and he cooperated with them to avoid being held in contempt of Congress. But they're still voting to hold him in contempt of Congress anyway. This is something that, from what I understand, before the 1980s really never really happened. People were never really held in contempt of Congress. What is the... Um, I guess, is there any kind of of negative here for Mark Meadows if he is, you know, if this goes further, because now they're going to send this off to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, where it's going to be up to prosecutors to decide whether to present a case to a grand jury for possible criminal charges. This is out of control. It seems it seems to me to, to be out of control. What is the point of this for this committee? Well, uh, obviously, I mean, it's not a bipartisan committee. You can't count Liz Cheney or Adam Kinsinger, uh, who are being fated. I noted today Liz Cheney has a glowing profile of her in the New York Times about how brilliant she is. Um, of course, this is how they groom these people. But um, that committee is purely and simply a spite committee, a hate committee constructed by Nancy Pelosi to go after the Democrats' political enemies. And they want to spin out the January 6th riot right up until the midterms because their narrative, the only thing they have left, is to try and paint Trump supporters or Republicans, Republican voters, as white supremacists and domestic terrorists and, you know, just evildoers. And this is their vehicle to do it. And it's shame on 
those Republicans who, uh, you know, were, were handpicked by Nancy Pelosi to go on that committee, while Pelosi refused to allow on uh, any other Republicans who would have actually uh, been a voice of reason and uh, decency on that committee. All she's doing, all that committee is doing, is targeting everyone in Trump world because they're terrified that Donald Trump might run again in 2024. Yeah, that's exactly what this is about. And then, but the the point is being made, and I've seen it made in several publications, that you know Liz Cheney was they have her. She's the face of it, and she's proudly reading, you know, these text messages that they got. And some of the text messages were from Don Jr. to Mark Meadows, where, excuse me, Don Jr. is saying, you know, my dad, he he's got to condemn this stuff ASAP. Mark Meadows, I'm pushing hard. I agree. And what they're saying though is that what they proved by reading these text messages is that we're supposed to believe that Donald Trump planned a coup, he planned this whole thing and never told his son about it. That doesn't make any sense. They've almost done the opposite of what they wanted to prove. They proved the opposite of what they wanted to prove with these text messages. Yeah, I I mean... Obviously, Liz Cheney thought she had a great gotcha, but all the text messages she read out were perfectly reasonable. Uh, and, you know, Laura Ingram, um, for instance, is saying in the text exactly what she said in her tweets at the time, saying, you know, stop this, this is terrible for MAGA world, uh, you know, come out and give a statement, which, by the way, Donald Trump did come out and give a statement to tell people to go home peacefully. Um, so I don't really understand... Um, what they're doing, except really when you look on social media and you look at the reportage in, um, you know, the Biden-friendly media about these text messages, they're all framed as if somehow they prove that, that, I don't know, Republicans or Fox hosts were saying one thing privately and saying something else publicly that was different. And that's not the case. Uh, It's all, you know, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram last night on Fox actually showed, played their, what they had said that night of January 6th on air and compared it to what they were saying privately to Mark Meadows, identical. So uh, I, I just it, it just beats me, except it doesn't matter. It's all about the optics. It's all about creating a narrative and expecting that the people that you're hoodwinking and lying to your audience is not going to bother digging down and actually reading beyond the headline, reading beyond the tweet. Yeah. Um, very quickly, a couple things here. Uh, Ron DeSantis doing something that I think is brilliant, and he wants to take the illegals who are being dumped into Florida – and fly them to Delaware and Martha's Vineyard, which I think is absolutely amazing, and also uh, Washington, D.C. He's allocated $8 million in the state budget to do so. It sounds good, but is it, is it just trolling, or is it something he really can do? Well, look, um, I, I, good on him for trying. I think it's an inspired point. Um, if he could do it, great. And at the very least, he's making the point. And as he says, if if you actually sent these illegal migrants uh, to Martha's Vineyard and to Delaware, the border would be secure the next day. The reason they're getting away with it is because they're flying these secret flights 
chartered flights from places like, you know, El Paso or uh, Macau in Texas, border towns, Yuma, Arizona, um, and they're just sprinkling them all around the country. And, um, you know, we at the New York Post spotted uh, some of these planes coming into White Plains Airport. Then they get, they come in at two and three in the morning secretly. They get put on buses and shunted around um, the state. And it's all done secretly so that they can um, avoid the chaos at the border, the images, um, the problems that they had, say, with the Del Rio, under the Del Rio Bridge with all those Haitians. Um, They just spread the problems far and wide. And no one knows about it until you have this influx of of uh, you know kids into your local school that can't speak English, uh, with no funding, no no informing the authorities, right. the local authorities, uh, and and these people are not vetted, they're not vaccinated for the most part. Um, you know, they don't seem to be even tested for coronavirus. So while, you know, US citizens are being restricted and put under more and more draconian uh, mandates, um, you've got non-citizens from the border, foreigners, uh, having better rights than we do. And now New York's allowing them to vote. It's crazy. Uh, Before we run out of time here, just one thing. Uh, The vice president was given a task, a photo shoot, a photo op, uh, to charge an electric vehicle. And um, all hilarity ensued. Here is some of uh, Kamala Harris, our vice president, charging an electric vehicle. It's plugged in, so it plugs into just a normal electric socket, right? Uh, Yes, normally it's a 240 volt, but you can go ahead and plug in and uh, that's it. There we are. That's it. And there's no sound or fume. There, there is nothing. Yes. Yeah, and that's so all there is. All of us who are used to every morning to we... filling our tank, we, we you usually can smell it and and you can hear it. You can hear the guzzling sound. Right. None of that. None of so that. So how do I know it's actually working? It is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she had no clue what she was doing. She held on to the charger the whole time like you would if you're if you're putting gas in your car. She had uh, no clue what she she was doing yesterday. Why do they keep giving her impossible tasks? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't exactly an impossible task. How much easier <laughs> could you get? She just makes them impossible. Um, there was a hilarious story yesterday in the San Francisco Chronicle, and they got a very rare one-on-one interview with Kamala Harris. Um, and all they seemed to be able to find to talk to her about was the redecorating of her office, her new decor, her beautiful new blue walls and her white couches and her paintings. But um, nothing about about the border, two million people have flooded into the country under her watch. I mean, she's supposed to be in charge of the border, and she's done nothing. If the president of Guatemala says he hasn't heard from her in six months, and I mean, she was trying to make the excuse that oh, she had nothing to do with the actual border because she was talking to the the countries, in, you know, the triangle right. countries, um, and she was working on what was it root causes. She hasn't even been to Guatemala or talked to the guy in six months. So what does she do every day? I I have no idea what she does every day. And 
Um, it's it's the best insurance Joe Biden could have gotten by choosing her as his vice president because nobody wants her as president. Miranda, we got to run. Miranda Devine, New York Post columnist. The book is Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Thank you so much for your time. It's always so much fun when you join us. Oh, thank you, Mary. Great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Your call is 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. People who want to be protected are. Those who get sick, it's almost entirely their own darn fault. I, I don't want to say that nobody gets ill who's been vaccinated, but it's very rare. Just to put it in perspective, uh, about 1,400 people hospitalized, less than 200 or 16% are vaccinated, and, and many of them are older or of other conditions. 84% of the people in our hospitals are unvaccinated. And they absolutely had every chance to get vaccinated, right? At this point, if you haven't been vaccinated, it's really your own darn fault. That's your choice. I respect that. But it's your fault when you're in the hospital with COVID. I can live with that. That's Governor Jared Polis out of Colorado uh, speaking on Colorado Public Radio. And he's right. If you choose not to get vaccinated, you wind up in the hospital. It was a choice. It was a calculated risk that you took. And I don't, you know, I, I think you need to take full responsibility for it. It was your choice. Okay. But um, should your employer be able to penalize you for that choice? Kroger banning unvaccinated staff from getting paid sickly if they catch COVID. And if you don't have the vaccine, they're asked there, you have to pay $50 a month towards a health insurance um, surcharge. No credit whatsoever given to natural immunity if you've already had COVID. And now we've got Twitter penalizing people for saying that people who have been vaccinated can get COVID and can spread it which is true. It, it may be rare, but they can get it. And I know people who I know someone family member just got over having COVID and they are fully vaccinated. 866-408-7669. John in Virginia. John, you are on the Brian Kilmeade show. Oh, you know what, John? We're not gonna have enough time here. I'm so sorry. I just looked at the time. I thought you had, I had more than a minute to give you. I apologize. I don't have that minute to give you. Uh, so sorry about that. But if you are, uh, you know, now on Twitter, if you even post what the CDC says about um, being fully vaccinated and being able to get COVID, you can get banned. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. With me this hour uh, will be, with me this hour is going to be Alex Berenson in a matter of moments. 
Uh, quick announcement when it comes to the President Freedom Fighter Friday. We put it together with John Rich, 815 in Nashville on Broadway at the Redneck Riviera. I'll be seeing you all there Friday night, the tourist uh, mecca of the world. Also, a quick announcement on that. After that, we might uh, have a chance to meet my WHIO listeners over in Dayton and then a visit to Cincinnati. You can find on BrianKilmead.com. So, uh, meanwhile, there, there's a lot of things going on. First and foremost, the big thing happening is, uh, I think what's happening is with these mandates. I think it is capturing uh, and affecting every element of American life. I'm not just talking about work. I'm talking about social. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your gym. Tensions are building everywhere because not everyone is anti-mandate. Some people love it. I'm seeing these gym owners now telling me, you know, I got a third of my population is saying they're going to resign if I don't make everyone wear a mask. Two-thirds on in New York, maybe it's a different story where you are. Two-thirds are saying, if I have to wear a mask, I have to resign. You know, when it comes to work, they're like, I'm listening to the governor. If you're in nine counties in New York State, you don't have any enforcement at all. If you're not, you have a lot of enforcement, like New York City, even though the numbers are low. And even though this new variant is not a threat. So I want to bring in uh, Alex Berenson. Alex got a, a uh, brand new book out. Uh, and uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for having me. No problem, Alex. For uh, um, Real quick, I want to, yeah, I want to get your right sheet here. Uh, what is the name of your book? So the book is called Pandemia. Um, and I'm really happy to report uh, that, you know, thanks in part to, uh, you know, to, to, to Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and, uh, you know, other support from Fox. Uh, it is currently the best-selling nonfiction book in the United States. Um, it, it's, uh, it's like it's in the top five on, in the, on Amazon as an ebook, and you can actually get it for $2.99 right now. So people are, people are getting it, and I think people are really desperate for information about uh, the coronavirus that, you know, that isn't censored by, uh, by other media outlets. And, you know, what it really says is here's what's happened the last couple of years. And here's, you know, here's all the mistakes and all the lies that, uh, that you've been told. And, uh, and, you know, here's why you should, you know, you should be wary of what you're being told going forward. Uh, I think in every way, this has brought up question after question. Number one, when you see the Omicron variant come out, okay, look out, here it comes. The follow-up question to the non-medical professional, civilians just living their lives is, if I get it, how will it affect me? There is no indication that you get more than a low-grade fever, if anything, and a runny nose. If we ran away from the possibility of getting a low-grade fever and a runny nose, we would never go to school, we would never go to work, we would never leave our house, we wouldn't get on a subway. So why are we not talking about the ramifications of getting it and comparing it to the psychological aspect of, of, of a not working, not interacting with people, not going out with friends and relatives? Uh, I mean, I think that's a great question. I, I think what the public health authorities would say is we still don't know because we, we you know, it's still only a couple of weeks since this developed. And, you know, the population in South Africa is much younger than the population in Europe or the U.S. So we don't know. And there's a chance that even if it's close to as dangerous as the earlier variants, because it is very transmissible, you could have lots of spikes and, you know, lots of hospitalizations. But I will say there's not really evidence of that. What you're saying is correct. What you're saying is what we've seen so far and certainly what the South Africans who've had the most uh, 
uh, interaction with this have seen. And and I think um, I think you're right. I think. And I, but honestly, I, I sort of disagree with what you said going in. I think a lot of people are, you know, sort of done with the panic. Now, maybe that's not true in New York State where you live and I live. Maybe it's not true on the West Coast. But I think in large parts of the country, um, people people, you know, they, they heard about this and their first reaction was this is just an effort to scare me. Listen, uh, most people agree with me. I do know people that will come up to you if you're on a subway or a train. I need you to wear a mask. I need you to wear a mask. You know, if even walking outside, I'm watching people in New York walking outside without a mask. We know that surfaces and we know that using a mask outside is of no benefit. We've watched 110,000 people jam into the Michigan Stadium. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, the misinformation and what happens is, you divided America to such a degree has this president and to agree the previous president because he wanted to forge forward. Uh, I'd rather much go with aggression than non-aggression. But this president has decided to double down on mandate mania. Jeff Mason's a reporter with Reuters. He said this on special report. Cut 11. You won't see this White House. Um giving up on that stance, even though they have been challenged in the courts. I think they're going to continue to go forward with that. The president made his decision to go with vaccine mandates earlier this fall uh, when when he decided that he needed to use more of a stick instead of a carrot approach to getting people uh, to get vaccinated. But it has certainly been uh, something that Republicans in particular have pushed back on, and it's become a, a political liability, at least to some extent, for this president. So how does he get out of it? Alex, I mean, I mean, besides saying, you know, what, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm pulling my foot off the gas like with Amtrak. They had so little people to work Amtrak trains. They had to pull off their mandate mania with corrections in New York City. There's no way they can fulfill it. They were going to lose 50 percent of their force. How do you back off? Um, how do you back off? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, these people have shown no uh, no ability to back off. Um. Uh, you know, they, they they look at Afghanistan. Look at, you know, the fact that they won't discuss honestly what's happening with inflation. Look at the fact they won't discuss what's happening honestly with the border. They, they set policies, and then they, uh, they won't change them. So I, I don't know what the answer is, okay? Uh, and I don't know why um, we can't uh, have an honest conversation about it. Uh, Alex Berenson, our guest, Pandemia is the name of his book, How the Coronavirus Hysteria Took Over the Government Rights and Lives. So I'll, I'll bring it to these stats that don't lie. The U.S. has the highest COVID-19 deaths of any country in the world, accounting for 15 percent of the of uh, the COVID death cases. We have 4 percent of the country's population. And the mounting toll continues. Despite the president getting a vaccine with a million shots in the arms, how do you explain more deaths this year? Because the vaccine doesn't work very well. Okay, it it works for a short period of time, uh, you know, after the second dose, and it probably actually increases infections after the first dose. Uh, for a short period of time, you get into what I what I call the happy vaccine valley, where it's uh, you know it actually does work and it reduces infections, it reduces transmission, it reduces death. And then within four or five months after that second dose, the antibodies that help makes your body generate go away, and people are vulnerable again. They get infected, they can transmit it, and some of them can get sick and die. 
And it isn't very clear, even though, you know, you'll never hear this from from Anthony Fauci or anybody on CNN or anywhere else where they're they're just committed to lying about the vaccines. It isn't even very clear how good the protection against severe disease and death is. So so we are we gave a lot of people a lot of shots this spring. They're not very well protected right now. That's what you're seeing. And all this stuff about the pandemic of the unvaccinated and how the hospitals are filled with unvaccinated people is not really true. In countries where the data is better, where the data collection is better and where it's not as politicized like Britain, like and like Israel, you can very clearly see that people get quite sick who are vaccinated in many cases. So, so when, when people so, say, wait, I just because I heard you say that last night with Tucker. So when yeah. people say that 95 percent or almost or everybody in who's been hospitalized uh, are unvaccinated in our hospitals. See, they say I think the number is uh, of um, there were six times more likely to be hospitalized if you are unvaccinated as if you were vaccinated. Alex, you, you think it's different than that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's 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 a total lie. Um, and and I you know and I don't like saying that these are but but the but the reason it's a lie is I mean it's very clear and I've done a lot of work talking to people in hospitals about this. The hospitals are not doing a great job collecting uh, data on who's vaccinated and who isn't. Uh, they you know in part because there's political pressure and they don't really they they don't get paid more for treating somebody who's unvaccinated. So uh, so why would you you know why would you go out of your way to figure out who I'm sorry let me let me restate that why would you go out of your way if you're a hospital to to find out that a person is vaccinated and has covid when you know what the NIH and the CDC want to find and when you're not paid differently for treating somebody who was vaccinated and comes in. So so they're not really collecting data as well as they should be. In other countries, they have national registries. There's a national immunization registry, and then they have national health care. So they're much better at comparing, and people who are vaccinated and get sick are known to be vaccinated, and we're not really doing that with the same degree of accuracy in the U.S. I mean, in Israel, they're up to four shots now. I mean, they're doing double uh, they, booster. They, I mean, Think about they that. are talking about I don't I'm not sure that anybody has actually been offered a, a second booster yet, but they're certainly discussing it seriously. So we have to go with their data because we don't have our own. How do you explain the way we're not focusing on the things that matter most on vaccinations, on effectiveness, on 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 uh, on who is getting sick and who's not the ages we have? We seem to be ballparking it. All the time. And the other thing that I find the huge mystery is, if I get it today, how am I being treated? I have no idea. Well, you can, go, uh, you can get antibodies, maybe. Do I get that at home? I mean, do I, take, do I take sinus medication? I mean, the first time a lot of people are being treated, it turns out, are in the hospital. Is there, why isn't there a procedure for treating it once infected? Well, that's, so this question's come up a lot. The problem isn't that there's some magic bullet that people are being denied. I don't believe that. There's not really evidence for that. The problem is that we've never properly done these sort of early treatment studies, whether it's with ivermectin, whether it's there's a you know there's an antidepressant called fluvoxamine that that may work. Um, there are there are options out there, and we in the U.S. never really got you know we we didn't do the big trials of these, you know, inexpensive medicines that might have helped. Now, they might not have, okay? It's not clear. But the fact that this debate is still happening almost two years in 
tells you how badly we failed. And and the and I think if you if you sort of pull back even a step further, what you see is that Fauci was desperate to get a vaccine. Okay, the all the entire focus of the federal effort was let's get a vaccine, let's get these mRNA vaccines. We think they're going to work. And we put all our eggs in that basket. And uh, one year ago at this time, it looked like that bet had paid off. You know, 95% protection, everybody just get it, this will be over. That was the promise a year ago at this time. And anyone who says otherwise is lying. The problem is that promise hasn't come true, and the people in charge won't admit it. So, so, so we're in this world where we're sort of descending into all these you know, conspiracy theories. And the truth is, I think it's simpler than that. It's that a bet was made on the vaccine. The bet, unfortunately, although it seemed like it paid off, didn't actually pay off the way people in charge hoped. And they just can't admit it. They're too committed. And, you know, this is what pandemia is all about, broadly. It's about, you know, I don't know if you remember, there's been so many lies told. We needed a million ventilators. Test and trace was going to be the solution to this. If everybody just wore a mask, and then if everybody just wore two masks, and then if everybody just wore an N95 mask, we'd get out of this. If we just locked down, everything would be fine. We just needed to lock down hard enough. None of this stuff was true. It hasn't been true in the United States. It hasn't been true in Europe. And the people in charge just need to accept that this is with us. It is going to be with us. It appears to be mutating. To go back to your very first point, Omicron Omicron appears to be mutating in a way that is better for us. It's less dangerous. And we should just live with it. Why this is such a hard point for the left to accept, I don't know. And you know what the thing is? The one unifying factor could be who started it, who gave it to us. And instead, you have an administration refusing to even press China on the genesis of a, uh, of a pandemic. And if they were candid right away, who knows how many more people would be alive today? And well, the problem is, and Alex, and the other thing is, everything you said— I'm wrong all the time. You're wrong all the time. In life, we thought we were going to go right. We should have went left. I get it. I admit it. If you just say, for a while, I had you wipe down surfaces, that was wrong. For a while, I told you not to wear a mask, that was wrong. In January, I told, uh, I told John Castamatidis, um, Anthony Fauci, that this would not be a problem here. I was wrong about that. They actually had one of these women actually told me on television we should look into wearing goggles because it could get in the eyes. Oh, yeah. So we, what are we talking about? No wonder you have no credibility. You never admit when you're wrong. Final thought? Final thought. I, I, you, you make a great point about the lab leak. And, but here's the thing. The reason, and I think actually this cuts to the heart of all of this, Fauci, you know, there's a connection between Fauci and Wuhan. There's a connection through Peter Daszak. And so when the guy who's in charge essentially of our pandemic response is afraid to have an honest conversation about where the virus came from because he knows he may be connected to it, that colors everything and messes everything up. So, so this is sort of born in sin two years ago, and we can't get out of it. That is uh, so aptly said. Alex Berenson, congratulations on the, uh, the sales on Pandemia, how the coronavirus hysteria took over our government rights and lives. Alex, thanks. Brian, thanks for having me. You got it. When we come back, I'll take some calls. 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
studio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's time that the reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. More aggressive with the changes in our policies and less tolerant of all the that has destroyed our city. And she helped destroy that city of San Francisco. That is London Breed, the mayor, who has a terrible uh, DA, who goes out of their way to put criminals first and allow smash and grab and since 2014's proposition, uh, since the 2014 proposition, to be allowed up to $1,000. And now there's organized crime behind it and these high-end stores. And now these high-end businesses, as well as high-end residences, are now under attack because they let crime run rampant and didn't enforce crime. You don't pay the price for the crimes that you actually are caught doing or the ones you get away with doing because you defunded and defamed the police. But I am encouraged. I could not believe it was her. I heard this, and then I wanted to see it, and I saw it on Tucker last night. Mayor London Breed is finally fed up as unbelievably stupid her policies were. And to follow the price that San Francisco has paid from the homeless situation, the mentally ill on the streets, who many times make it unsafe to walk the streets. You certainly can't park, even park your car. Now, suddenly, maybe Democrats are realizing we're not only losing election, we're destroying the country. And we'll talk about that. I want to see if you think I'm overstating it, but I'm seeing it because if you see what happened in Portland and Seattle. With the chop area and everything else, do you see the embarrassment, the political careers that have gone up in flames, the cities that have fallen apart, more people leaving California than coming? You see what happened with this liberal mayor in Austin, Texas, this fantastic state, the capital of which used to be the number one place, destination for a family to live. The city of Austin has been overrun with homeless, mentally ill, and unprosecuted crime. If you stop it in one, it'll ripple through because they don't have any original ideas. We have to stop with this criminal first attitude. one 408 If you think I'm crazy to have hope or just think I'm crazy. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Fucking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's so much more to do. Police reform, criminal justice reform, immigration, gun violence, the courts, protecting a woman's right to choose, all these critical issues. Now we look at 2022. I want to tell my Republican friends, get ready, pal. You're going in for a problem. And we need to stay unified. We have to keep making the case. And if we do, I believe we're going to win. Let me say this again for the president. We're going to win in 2022. Right. He's such a unifier. I guess he's talking about unifying his party, which they're not. And I've never seen them so apart. But Republicans are apart. I'm not necessarily upset when either party goes against the majority, because I think that you represent your state. And also you have original ideas. You didn't go there to just go with the group. Think Mitch McConnell on down. I'm, I don't necessarily have a problem with that personally. But Joe Biden is supposed to be the guy reaching across the aisle like Joe Manchin has been doing. He has not done it once. You have that bipartisan committee that was put together by Manchin 
in order and cinema in order to get some bipartisan infrastructure deal done. And when you finally got the deal in June, you waited until September to actually pass it, at which time you ticked off your entire left and alienated every Republican that went along with you. But I think in politics it's kind of interesting because now uh, Joe Biden's doing so poorly in the polls. It's at 36 to 41 percent. He's actually bailing. He's actually blaming the press. And you have people in the press who are saying, yeah, his coverage is actually worse than Donald Trump's. No clear thinking person has ever said that. If you want to compare Bush and Biden, uh, I don't agree, but uh, Bush got a lot harder. But he started, uh, I think he was kind of unifying when uh, after 9-11 for a while, I think he had 90 percent approval rating. But it's a typical Republican, yeah. But the previous one, not one positive story out of uh, CNN. I don't think one. I mean, the, the worst was the people that pretend to be doing news and they pretend as if that is the most important thing is the Russia investigation every single day, just like they're doing January 6th every single day. But when you talk about the politics of what's happening right now, Chris Coliza writes this, I believe in Politico today, undoubtedly uh, about Harris. Undoubtedly, she's struggling as vice president, but she's still the most likely Democrat not named Joe Biden to wind up on the de- as a Democratic nominee. Kliz is already speculating about this. Also listed failed gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, which she wins, that will certainly be something that's brought up. Uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. I mean, no offense to old, but she's old. Um, I guess as old as uh, Trump, but she's already had a shot. She does not. She doesn't win Massachusetts, I don't think. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, are you kidding me? Some elitist, lazy governor who just only likes to lock down terrible speaker. Mitch Landrew, another woke mayor who's going to give a lot of responsibility to actually spend the money set aside in a bipartisan way. But you know how he's doing it? With gender and equity in mind. Is that incredible? And they say Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Really? Gretchen Whitmer and Phil Murphy. You know who's missing here? Joe Manchin. So the politics of this is crazy in that the president's ratings below 40 percent on just about everything. Overall, they have him about 42 percent of the latest poll. But 43 percent of Americans approve of Kamala Harris. I don't know where she got that poll from. It's the Hill-Harris poll. And in it, they have her higher, and they think that's a disaster. I think it's by far lower. And she's earned it. So her crisis manager should be fired, and that should be to avoid the next crisis. Because because she has done so little of substance, she decides to sit down with the San Francisco Chronicle, at which time she sits there and talks about cooking, fashion, and painting. Really? If you want to show you're somebody of substance, you put on a jean shirt, you go to the border, you fight to Central and South America, you start dealing with uh, Southeast Asia, consolidating some democracies against China, go land in Taiwan. How about that? Instead, she does a big article in San Francisco, a big puff piece, uh, at which time Kamala Harris talks about redecorating the VP's office to a different type of blue. Tweeted out, Congressman Andy Biggs, no time for the border. Meanwhile, she's spending all the time redoing her office. House Judiciary GOP uh, writes this. Crazy how she doesn't have time to visit the southern border, but all she does talk about is redecorating her office, which fills every 1950s woman stereotype out there. Miranda Devine from the New York Post, Cut 17. You know, it's pretty rare to get a one-on-one interview with Kamala Harris, and the San Francisco Chronicle, to their great credit, managed to score one. Um, But they didn't ask her, apparently, about the border crisis, about the two million uh, illegal migrants that have come over under her aegis. This is supposed to be something she's fixing. Apparently, there was nothing to talk about that. It was all about, you know, the shade of blue that she'd repainted the walls. 
Uh, she's replaced apparently some patterned couches with some pristine white ones. Uh, and she also, um, you know, she has a lot of artwork on her walls. And so the San Francisco Chronicle went into great detail telling us all about, you know, there's a painting called White Daisy Rhapsody behind her desk. It's crazy. I mean, those type of stories, I just have no interest in. I don't care if it's uh, I don't care if it's a celebrity or a politician. When you start talking about painting and your home life, I'm not into that. Those magazine features on CBS, I like them. They go deep into it. You talk to other people. But when you come in and talk about what went into painting and design at the same time people are accusing you of not doing your job, of going to France in order to foster relationships and fix a relationship, Joe Biden blew up because he didn't inform them that he blew up their nuclear submarine deal, and he ends up going shopping for an expensive handbag with the media following her behind. So this party plans on keeping its leadership intact. Joe Biden says, I'm running again. Nancy Pelosi, about to lose the House, she says she's running again. You can't tell me that she's had a good year. You saw how many times she promised to vote and didn't get the vote on a package. My fingers are crossed. She'll never get a vote on, and that's that reconciliation package. Here she is at our pep rally, cut 16. Mr. President, it is an honor and, of course, a pleasure to be here at this time of challenge and with the coronavirus, financial insecurity for families, national disasters, and more. Our country could not be more, could not be better served than with this most experienced, capable hands than yours, President Biden. He's just perfect. The timing couldn't be better. And Madam Vice President, we're inspired by your work for the people as you continue to be an invaluable partner to President Biden. Okay. I know it's the same party. I know it's all Democrats. But uh, to me, uh, to say it's an honor and privilege and um, and, and to throw pl- uh, and throw praise at him like this, I guess it's because... For the most part, she's kind of running uh, the country and telling him what to do, it seems. Even though he's got all this experience, clearly he doesn't have the energy and vision. He does not have the relationships he had 10 years ago. So uh, I just think that if you look back, you can't really see the things that you want to run on. The $1.9 trillion already, Larry Summers blew up and said it fostered inflation. The low unemployment rate, it's been swamped by the inflation rate. The, what you did in Afghanistan will never be forgiven how you're ignoring the plight of high gas prices while pushing your green agenda seems to put you in a, in a level of detachment that Marie Antoinette would be jealous of. On the other side, you have Hillary Clinton. Just before I, I leave this on the Democratic side, there's a big push. If you see now, Hillary Clinton's emerging again, not re- really praising Joe Biden, but going after Donald Trump. Are you beginning to see that there might be another reemergence of the ultimately failed candidate, Hillary Clinton, crushed by an unknown named Barack Obama, destroyed by the most unlikely biggest upset ever by Donald Trump. And because she got the popular vote, it's only because she maxed out in areas that were already in her column. And now they're talking about her being the only likely candidate if Biden could step aside. Governor Murphy can barely get elected in New Jersey. If he was a Republican, I would say that would be called momentum. If it's a Democrat, it would be called disaster. And not many mayors are ascending to the presidency. Just ask Rudy Giuliani. We come back. Actually, let's go out to David. David, you're in Los Angeles. Hey, David. 
Thanks for taking my call, Brian. Uh, you were asking if we felt you were crazy for thinking things are going to improve yes. as far as the crime. You're not crazy. You're just irrationally optimistic. <laughs> I heard the I heard the DA and the AG this week of California double down in saying that their reduced policies and lack of enforcement is not the reason for the smashing grabs. And again, they doubled down. Meanwhile, we've watched the trajectory continue to decline here in L.A. with the homeless. It's just been getting worse and worse. And everybody says, oh, the politicians, they're going to fix it. We just passed a new measure. It keeps getting worse. There's the law of gravity. There's decay. And uh, but, but we've got open David, borders right David, now. David, let me ask you, I know, After David, Trump- can I just ask you on this? For you personally, are you a Democrat or Republican? Well, when's the last when you voted for uh, last time you voted? You vote for mostly Democrats or Republicans? I'm a hardcore Trump fan. Hardcore. Okay. I'm on your David, side. Have, have you met Have you met anybody? This is what's going to be the key. Not getting David in Los Angeles, but have you met anybody that was a Democrat that sees the sees their you know their windshield smashed in one day sees the homeless overrunning their parks feels like it's unsafe to go shopping have you seen a democrat say i see a problem here heck no they don't exist they they talk about their dogs they talk about lebron james and they're still going to vote democrat again because orange man bad and you know what if the democrats are cheating well that's good because they're cheating against those mean republicans and um, you know if we had the election stolen when trump was the incumbent president imagine when the democrats with biden are the incumbent who's to say that the, we're not going to lose the election again if trump runs i'm well, I, I, number one, you know, in terms of the the election being stolen, that's exactly, by the way, they got a total pass on exactly what Hillary Clinton never admitted to, that she lost the election. So I think right now the Republicans are in a more positive state than ever before, but I care more even about the country. I would like to say I'll take a Democrat, reformed Democrat as mayor uh, in a city. If the Republicans can't win the seat, I don't care. If you are a Democrat that thinks crime is a problem and willing to take action, which means reversing everything that we're seeing in Chicago and Philadelphia and New York, San Francisco, Oakland and and Los Angeles and in parts of San Diego. If you're going to be reformed and say, the po- I tried the policies, I had a big heart and man, was I wrong? I'm fine with that because right now this country is in crisis because of these ridiculous, ineffective Right and wrong policies. This is not even Republican or Democrat. It is just flat out pro-criminal. And what, is, what does it say to you that I just read from a left-leaning columnist about possible Democratic nominees, and they didn't pick out the most powerful Democrat in Washington, bar none, Joe Manchin? Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, just a reminder, thanks to everyone who's keeping the president freedom fighter among the top 10 in the country. Uh, and big shocker, 1619's number one. New York Times puts out a book, and it's number one on the New York Times list. Fantastic. Just like they put out a series, and it becomes a curriculum. Fantastic. It's just because it's so award-winning, and I think it's being attacked daily by uh, historians who want to get history right as opposed to history hate, which is 1619. Uh, but I'll be in Nashville at the Redneck Riviera, John Rich Place at 815. Uh, that'll be Friday night. Then I'm going to WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. And please get tickets and make your reservations just in this pandemic world. And then I'm going to be heading over to Cincinnati. Got a great bookstore out there. Just, again, make a reservation so we have an idea and, and accommodations. And then um, 
Next week, I'll be talking about it on primetime a little bit. But for the most part, besides a hit here and there, I'm, that is it for the tour. But I love seeing everybody in person, especially everybody uh, last night out in Pennsylvania. Newtown, which is a great town in, in Pennsylvania. Doylestown was also fantastic. Madison, Connecticut has been great. I just love these one-day trips. It's a lot of time and a lot of traffic, but I just love meeting people in small towns. I love these independent bookstores. Joe, you're listening in Florida. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. I seen you in Orlando. My wife got got us tickets for my uh, birthday, and I thought it was going to be a history tour, and it wasn't. It was a show about inspiration, how you shared your your soccer stories from Massapequa and how you failed at that and that was your dream and that's what you wanted to do for your father and you didn't really succeed the way you wanted to and you learned from that and became successful off your failures. And that's what I got from that show. With the failure that I have, I can still succeed. And it was a funny, inspirational show. So I want to say thank you for doing that. Joe, that's so nice of you to say. I, I uh, And then I had a chance to meet a lot of you uh, behind the scenes and before the show. And that's just it. It was motivational, inspirational, along with a walk through, uh, you know, America's past, which is now under attack, sadly. But thanks for saying that. That was my goal in doing it. So, uh, and of course, WDBO is our great affiliate out there. So, um, yeah, I had a chance to go into Clearwater, go on stage for about three hours go through all the books, give you an idea of the audiovisual. There's production value to it. My good friend, stand-up comedian Pat O'Rourke was there. Rick Thatcher, a great MC, graduate of Syracuse University, also a, a fantastic athlete, uh, was able to MC and, and bring me through. And we also had a chance to see Rich Jones at WOKV, host me in Ponte Vedra. That's the show that, um, that you saw and is now posted online on Fox Nation, which you're watching us on now. And then went to Clearwater and finished it all up with the biggest audience uh, and the best backdrop, my goodness, why people who, if you visit Clearwater, I can't imagine that you would ever leave. But a couple other things I want to go over, and I'll address some other things uh, tomorrow about what, what else is going on in the news that I've been discussed so heavily on, thanks to Liz Cheney. But I'm going to go into that at a little bit different of a rate. The one thing I, I do want to bring up that I have not brought up yet is the inexplicable way this administration continues to explain away what's happening with our economy. As the consumer price index rises, the inflation rises, the, the labor participation rate drops, the, the big national quit is taking place. This administration is telling everyone it is going great. And even though they have a total compliant press, I think what we're seeing at this current time is somebody who is actually paying the price for ignoring the problem. And here's the crazy thing. Jen Psaki said this, when it comes to food prices, remember you have to have a villain. Donald Trump for the longest time, how do you have a villain? You can't really have a villain in Joe Manchin because if you alienate him too much, he'll become an independent or a Democrat or a Republican, and then you've lost the majority. So you go ahead and have a villain. They're going after gougers. All right. Do you know anyone who's pro-price gouging? No. But what about a press secretary that goes after corporate greed of big meat? White House Press Secretary blamed corporate greed on Tuesday when asked about the cause of soaring meat prices in the United States. Get this. The price index for meats, poultry, fish, and eggs swelled to 12.8% over the last, uh, over the last uh, past year. Now, for products, they increase. It can be pronounced the price of beef has soared to 20.9%. That's stunning. I don't eat red meat anymore. I do have chicken. But for those people that live on that, the number's stunning. But she's calling it gouging because of basically meat Monopolies 
are putting the prices up because of greed. Cut four. The president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. That is, in his view, uh, and the view of our Secretary of Agriculture, because of, you could call it corporate greed, sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, it, during a pandemic. <laughs> right. It's easy to blame a person, corporations, many of which vote for you and for Democrats. It's called profit. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.